All right, so welcome to the Interesting People I Know podcast with me, Carrie Freitas. I am super, super excited today to have my like amazing cousin. I mean, again, I have a little bit of an ego, as you probably everyone knows. And um, the fact that she's so kick ass, it's like I still love her, even though it's a little intimidating. But I know she's going to be nice to me because she's my cousin and has to. And um, <laughs> so, Tonsi, I know you're on the line. And I will stop talking in a minute because you're really the guest on me. Um, but I'm going to go ahead and introduce you. So, uh, ladies and gents, we have Tonsi Whalen. She is the clinical professor of business and society and also the director of the Center for Sustainable Business at NYU's Stern School of Business. Um, and here's what they said about her. She has a really long, cool bio that I posted on Facebook, which you should read and, and you know, you'll understand how this is like the coolest guest ever. Um, but she also is the former president of the Rainforest Alliance for I think like 15 years, Tonsi, was it? It was a long time. That's right. mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, And she's also a sustainable development leader known for her business success, creativity, rapid results, um, a global executive and thought leader. I love that. No one's ever called me that. Um, She combines deep business experience and academic prowess. um, And she's been recognized as one of the 100 most influential people in business ethics. And um, again, go to my Facebook page and check out her bio and then go to the New York uh, University Stern School of Business site to see her team. It's super impressive. And I am very honored to have my cousin, Tonsi Whalen, with us. Hi, Tonsi. Hi, Carrie. I'm so glad to be doing this with Yay. you. It's so much fun. And I feel really <laughs> cool because, like, you're the farthest away guest I've ever called. Um, so I don't know that that there's a milestone there that I just wanted to recognize. Um, and I'm not really good at distances, but I think I know it's over, like, 2,700 miles, but it might be 3,000. Okay. Um, so we're talking to Tonsi today about climate change, what we should be doing. Um, and obviously, you know, I'm going to ask you, Tansi, a lot of stuff about like what individual, um, and I keep wanting to say consumers, which is like really bothering me because it's like we are consumers and I think we need to stop being consumers to some extent in order to solve this problem. So I'm going to start just trying to say people. I think it's just my um, my marketing background that wants to say consumer. So um I wanted to talk to you about climate change on, on all different levels, and I'm just going to start rolling in with the questions that I'd sent, and hopefully um, I'd given uh, Tonsi the caveat that, you know, I'm probably asking really basic questions, but I feel like it's a good place to start. So, Tonsi, after all that preamble, um, you know, when it comes to climate change, I had just um, read recently, and I, I don't know, I don't, I know it's not the Bible, um, but of climate change, but time had a special climate issue that was really eye opening to me yeah, over the, it was in late September. And I wanted to ask you, since you're on the inside of this um, study, and, you know, this, I don't even want to call it a sector, but you're on the inside looking out, and I feel like I'm on the outside looking into it. Can you tell me, like, how bad the situation is in your mind just from what you know when it comes to climate change? Yes, well, um, well, again, first of all, Carrie, great to, to be talking with you about this and, and great to be, um, you know, sharing some ideas with your listeners. So climate, climate change is here. It's going to get worse. It's uh, a challenge that we're, you know, in, in, in maybe even five, ten years ago, we thought it was for our grandchildren. It's not even our grandchildren. It's us, but it's very specifically our children. You know, we're passing on a, a world that's going to be much, much different. And uh, we should all feel guilty about that, but we should also do something about it now because there's still opportunity. So, you know, wh- how is how bad is it? What are we seeing? 
I mean, first of all, you know, the, the world said we need to contain the increase in um, global warming to 1.5 degrees, and it looks like we're already blowing past that, um, probably around 1.7 uh, you know, people are attempting to focus on two degrees. I don't think we're going to get there. If we go past three degrees, which is entirely likely, we're going to see radical change. So the types of things that we're seeing already that are already projected with even just two degrees are things like what are happening in California with, you know, massive um, impacts related to extreme weather events and the P- PG&E, for example. Yeah. I'm sorry, not, you know, the, yes, the, the utility. The, yeah. Yeah, um, it's it's uh, what's interesting to me is that you know, you've got in California as an example agriculture where there shouldn't be agriculture, urban development where there shouldn't be urban development, and we've been able to. And this is not just true for California; this is true for many places. But we've been able to tolerate that because um, we haven't had some of the challenges that climate change is throwing at us. But with climate change causing extreme weather. Um, loss of water, um, you know, a variety of other challenges, biodiversity loss affecting agriculture, you know, uh, productivity and so on, um, that that just exacerbates what is already a kind of a weak ecosystem. Right, because I think and, you know, California were, is supposed to be a yeah, desert, really, right? I mean, most of it. Yeah, like, right. Like where I yeah. live, you know, where I'm talking to you from should be a desert. There shouldn't be a bunch of green lawn and whatever you know all these different kinds of trees that are you know not native and so you're saying that we've been able to absorb the impact of places like where i live um because i guess there's been maybe some kind of like a little bit of runway or bandwidth for the Mm -hmm. the globe overall and now we've just we've we've kind of eaten that up it sounds like yeah and then you know you look at it um and you look at a place like where we have a farm in the northeastern vermont um you know we're not going to have maple syrup soon you know it's already becoming the weather patterns need to be very specific for the production of maple syrup so that's going to continue to move north we never had Lyme disease but as the weather has gotten warmer we now have ticks that carry Lyme disease north and that's just you know sort of talking about the northeast you know we also have of course flooding and all kinds of things happening with with storms but then you know you look at the transmission or moving north of disease from Latin America um, as, the, as the country gets warmer, and, and, and I'm really just looking at the U.S., but this is all like, happening in all kinds of jurisdictions, or you look at um, uh, the fact that, you know, projections show that some states will lose between 50 and 70 percent of their agricultural productivity, right? So massive changes there. We're looking at um, people, you know, some states being so hot that you're going to have real increases in mortality and in a lack of ability for people to work outdoors based on the heat. You know, so there's just, you know, everywhere you look, there's, um, Impact. you know, changes happening. Yeah. And, and sorry, one, and one other thing, just to give people a really good example. So everybody or most people love coffee. Coffee is the second most traded commodity in the world. Okay. And, um, it, it, climate change is affecting everything about coffee. So the first thing that's affecting is that, um, it's creating the extreme weather events are creating lower productivity and higher disease and making it more challenging to grow coffee at lower elevations. So you're having to grow the coffee further and further up the mountain. But, of course, there's only so many tops of mountains, right? So at a certain point, you no longer have sufficient coffee um, due to climate change. And then on top of that, as another example related to transportation with extreme weather events, 
uh, all the coffee into the United States comes in through the port of New Orleans. And so when Hurricane Katrina happened, they couldn't get coffee into the country. Right. So you're just looking at like wow. things that you don't think about normally. Right. Um, that's what climate change is doing. I mean, that's crazy because, I mean, I think about, you know, like you said, I, I didn't know it was the second most traded commodity. Um, and I think that just even something like that, where we always talk about, like, impacts that individuals can take. Like, you know, for example, like, you know, they tell you, like, if you want to save money, just maybe don't go to Starbucks every day, right? So there's got to be some kind of cool inverse thing where it's like, hey, you know that cup of coffee that you were, you know, like denying yourself, quote unquote, because you're trying to save money. Well, that cup of coffee may not even be there for you. So like, we've got to think even bigger than these. Like, I mean, mm-hmm. there are little steps and I know that we can't get intimidated by, there's no way I'm going to be zero waste, you know, this week. I mean, I, you know, mm-hmm. I don't even know how to, right. how I'd even approach that. But I guess, you know, from where you sit, and maybe it's what you do personally, or maybe you just, because of who you are and, and you know, the sector that you work in, you understand this, but what can people like me do to to help? Because I think the one thing I've just been reading Greta's book, her, her little treatise mm-hmm. um, that was published, which is a, it's a, com- a compendium of her speeches. And, you know, the whole premise there is, you know, the, you, no one's too small to help. Um, but I guess it just really does feel overwhelming if you think of it in like the gestalt kind of viewpoint of like, well, I need to change everything. But like, where do we even start? I mean, I guess as individuals, I'd love to talk to you too about companies and the work you're doing there. But can we start at the individual level and just say maybe some small changes that, you know, that you've done that seem to work that aren't, that are kind of like the gateway to maybe becoming more aware and conservation minded? Absolutely. Well, um, and, and I do want to come back to the business side of things because I do think that people also can think about what they can do in their profession as well. Okay. Just in the same yeah, way let's that talk about that too. Podcast, we can start either you know, place. Yeah. There's different, there's, there's different things that you can do, even if you're not running a company and so on. But so let's come back to that. But so in terms of personal, so if you think about it, if we're focusing first and foremost on greenhouse gas emissions and you think about yourself as an individual, your, the bulk of your greenhouse gas emissions are going to come from your transportation, right, um, and your building energy in okay. your home and in, at your work. Uh, they will be embedded in your consumption choices, and also there's clearly emissions related to your waste as well, right? right. So the first place to start would be your transportation. So um, where, depending on where you're located, Public transportation is obviously a you know a preferred um, option, but let's say that's not possible, then you would be going to your car, and you should be at the very least having a hybrid car, and ideally moving to an electric okay. vehicle. Um, and the good thing about electric vehicles is that they actually have far fewer component parts than a diesel combustion engine, so they tend okay. to break down less. Uh, they obviously cost less to, um, you know, from they don't cost to anything operate, in terms yeah. of the um, operating. They're not quite there yet, you know, for the most part. So that's why I think if people feel like they can't afford them, you know, can't afford a Tesla or there isn't. I mean, there are there's like the Nissan Leaf yes. at a low, you know, at a less expensive level. So there are options, but you know, maybe you have a hybrid for the next couple of years until they work out all the kinks, um, and you know, then move to electric vehicle. But okay. I think that's super important. And you know, having those. Um, for your own home, like I have, 
I don't own a car in New York City. I could, but I don't. And um, I also uh, just put solar on the top of my house with my neighbor. And um, we have a sort of apartment with two two apartments in it. And, um, you know, so to the extent that you can get solar or wind yourself in your own home or geothermal, I think that's really important. If you don't have the ability to do that, you can also, in most places, purchase um, through your energy provider, access to green energy, right? So you you pay a little bit more for it, but you can do that as well. So and is that something like you before, just called, like, let's say I call SoCal Edison or something, and yeah. I ask for that? And, yeah, exactly. So, like, I was able to buy, um, uh, you know, alternative energy when I didn't have solar that was being generated in Vermont, I think, you know. So, I mean, wind energy. So, yeah, you, you should be able to do that for your provider. I'm pretty sure you can. But I think, ultimately, if you can, like, get solar and produce it back into the grid is also going to help with things like your utility shutting your power down in California, right? Yeah, I mean, I, <laughs> again, know, so. I haven't been subject to rolling blackouts, but we had a scheduled maintenance and I like threw a tizzy fit because apparently I'm a, like a diva um, and was like, my power's been out for 18 hours. I can't even function. This is terrible. And of course, I'm like wasting all my energy, probably personal energy calling the company and they can't do anything. But um, it does appeal to me to be able, one, obviously to do something right for the environment, but two, to have that kind of independence. And I'm not going to build a bunker or anything, but um, I do like that idea. And I didn't even know you could actually ask, you know, again, depending on where you're at for the purchase of green energy. So I love that tip because that's something I had no idea that existed. Mm-hmm. Yep, absolutely. Okay. Um, and then, you know, I guess the the third area is in your own consumption choices and waste management choices, right? So picking things um, with less packaging, using reusable bags, um, looking at products to see, um, you know, how much energy is embedded in them. Like, it, and I wouldn't do that with everything. It's too complicated. But you, if you look as a family at, like, what do you buy the most of? And then start to do a little research on those things that you buy the most of and how much kind of embedded greenhouse gas emissions are there in them and what choices you can make. So here's like a very good example. It's not only what you buy, but how you use it. So the bulk of the carbon footprint of a cup of tea is in people boiling the full kettle of water for one cup of tea. Okay. All right. So again, thinking about your own use. So another one would be for coffee, Actually, while it may seem counterintuitive, the Nespresso right, capsule like, okay. system actually uses less energy and um, has a lower carbon footprint than um, in, um, like doing a French you know, press or drip, something. Drip coffee or French press, yeah. Right. Exactly. Okay, that's so interesting. Even even taking into account the packaging, right? The little plastic yeah, capsule. Yeah, exactly. Okay. The, so the interesting. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, as long as the aluminum capsule is recycled which Nespresso will take back. You can mail it back to them or drop it off in their shops and they will recycle them. So that's the one caveat is you do need to recycle them. Well, and I was going to ask you too, and I, I'll jump around a bit, but I do want to come back to the business side of things, what you could do at your workplace and also what you see businesses doing um, work globally. Mm-hmm. But when it comes to recycling, I, I think, um, and again, for, for those of us that are like, again, on the outside looking in, I've been hearing a lot more as just a layperson about the fact that recycling is not really recycling anymore. Is that true? I mean, are we we're thinking we're recycling, but it's just going to landfills? 
or is that just a gross so, um, overstatement so of the, some things? Um, I don't know. It depends on the municipality, and um, you know, they should. If they're saying they're recycling, they should be recycling. And if they're not, then you, as citizens, should be doing something about it. I mean, you, meaning yeah. anybody in the right. locality, whether they're concerned about that. But what has happened is we do a really bad job of um, actually recycling. We, we put a lot of junk in, so there's a lot of junk in our recycling. It's not good. It's not well recycled. China had been purchasing all that and then dealing with it, but, you know, as part of these tariff wars and other things <laughs> yes. going on, they basically said, you know what, we don't really need your junk anymore. We're not going to take it. And so we've lost a huge market for our recycled products. But my sister, who lives in Maine, your other cousin, yes. was telling me, for example, China still buys theirs because they have a volunteer system where they actually themselves go in and, and um, you know, sort of clean up the recycling. So there actually is still a market. Um, and, and then, you know, what we're finding, like in New York, there's actually a paper recycling plant built here in the city. So they, um, it, the economics of it are such that it makes all the sense in the world for them to take all this paper that we have here in New York and recycle it. So, you know, so they're still doing it. So it really depends on the locale and okay. what's going on there. But we're actually, we really are struggling with this. And I think what we need is for government to tell um uh, companies that they actually will have responsibility for packaging yes. so that they start to deal with this challenge. Agreed. And I was just reading something about like Grand Cayman and um, because of it was the New York Times last week, I think it was about, you know, some investor that's buying up all the islands or, or preponderance of the land and talking about how there's a huge trash mountain there. Um, yeah. And it's just crazy to me, like the amount of trash. But like you said, I mean, when I think about how much like damn like LaCroix I have in cans, I'm like, yep. it's insane. So that's probably, I mean, that could be my trash mountain after a year of LaCroix. I mean, it's ridiculous. And I think, you know, um, the way a lot of us were raised in this consumer culture, we just were taught never to think about it. And people used to throw, I mean, my dad used to throw his cigarette butts out the window when he was done driving yep. a car. I mean, yep. people remember that like, don't pollute. People had to be told not to throw stuff out of your car just onto the road. I mean, we've come a long way, but it's still, we have, it sounds like we have a, a long way to go. And I think, when you're talking about like you gave us a couple of really great examples of at home, um, you know, fixes and things we should think about. What about like you said at work? I mean, unless unless you want to touch on anything else at home before we move on to the workplace. Oh, well, just so one one thing I wanted to highlight for your listeners is that there's a new initiative called Loop that you can look up online. Okay. And there's 24 companies like Unilever and Procter and Gamble. Oh, is this where they refill involved. bottles for you, like a, the Milkman yeah. kind of thing? Yeah, it's the milkman thing. So it's they make really pretty containers for your ice cream or your shampoo or your whatever. And um, you just like you might order your, you know, from a grocery store online, you order whatever it is you want. And then when you're done with the container, uh, they take the container back and refill it. Um, oh my gosh, I love it. So, yeah, so it's great, you know. And uh, so what, what they need, you know, companies need support when they do those types of things because if people don't support that model, then they'll say, well, like, you Doesn't know, work. we can't make this happen. Yeah. Consumers don't it. Yeah. Well, and I think, um, so I have a question for you about that too. So, because I'm, and it's not related to loop, although I like just read about it and I'm like, I got to do it. Um, and hopefully it appeals to everyone's sense of aesthetics as well, because you've got a beautiful bottle of shampoo, you know, like that's not, doesn't mm -hmm. look janky in your shower. Um, mm -hmm. But I also was reading about like a toilet paper delivery thing, right? That's like, well, it's less packaging um, and it gets delivered to your door. But then I was thinking about the carbon footprint of that. But I mean, I know right. there's a carbon footprint of toilet paper going to the store like where I purchase it. So like, 
is are things like Amazon and ordering from there? I mean, regardless of how you feel about small business, which you know I'm pretty passionate about, like not ordering books on Amazon, for instance. Um, but I mean, does that carbon footprint of Amazon and this like instant delivery culture also is that also hurting us? It is. Okay. Yeah. So, um, so there's a couple things about Amazon. One is that they actually do vary it away, have a green packaging and delivery option. Okay. You can look for when you order from. Wow, them. I didn't even know that. Um, okay, I got it. Yep. Okay. Yep. Uh, so I know because they don't promote it. But well, no, it's there, crazy so. because like sometimes my refrigerated stuff comes with a bunch of like single-use plastic drinking water bottles to like in the bag with it, and I'm like, I don't want these. Like, yeah. But I didn't even know yeah. I could request not that. Yep. Okay. Yep. And I think also this, now they're moving to one-day delivery. I mean, it, it, all this short-term delivery absolutely increases the greenhouse gas emissions because that means you got to fly it there. You have all this craziness about the last-mile delivery. So, yep. um, you know, to the extent that you as a consumer don't need quick delivery, um, you know, don't don't choose it, right? Okay. Um, would be my two cents, yeah. Okay, good. And uh, and Oh, and then the final thing you asked is, well, so is it better for me to drive to my supermarket and right. pick up my toilet paper or have a toilet paper delivery? Well, so there, I think, you know, assuming that company is going into, uh, sorry, that truck is delivering to a whole bunch of different places, it's probably more energy efficient for them to be delivering from the local grocery to a whole bunch of people than to, you know, all of you going individually to that Got it. grocery. Which okay. makes sense. Um, so. Yeah. Um, and let's talk about the workplace. So you mentioned, you know, even if we're not, we don't own our own company, or we're not the CEO or anything, like there are things we can be doing in the workplace that will positively impact the environment and hopefully keep us below this, whatever we think is realistic, two degrees. It sounds like three degrees is pretty scary. Um, but what can we do at, at work? Well, so first and foremost, what I'm hearing more and more from companies is that their employees are increasingly holding them accountable for their performance on sustainability issues. And it's, and because of that, they're starting to make changes. So I think first and foremost, sort of asking your company, why do you have the lights on all the time? Do you have, why don't you have recycling in place for this? What, why is the, um, uh, you know, why don't you have a good option for us to be able to um, not order in, but bring in our own lunch and have, be able to wash our own dishes, right? You know, like whatever might be needed to make you live in a uh, work in a more sustainable environment. Um, and the other thing is, is whatever the company's business is, right? You know, if it's a service industry, um, is it providing services that sort of help sustainability? If it's a manufacturing industry, wh- how is it doing in terms of its own management of its uh, environmental footprint? Um, in its factories and asking questions about that. And, and if you're actually involved in anything that, where you could actually have an impact on it, that would be great. Um, volunteering to work with if the company has a sustainability person and you're in a different area, volunteering to go to that sustainability person and say, how can I help you out of finance or procurement or marketing or whatever, right? Because the, generally sustainability people are like one or two people. Yeah, like, and they're siloed, and they're I feel like. they're always looking for help, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Um, and I think the work you're doing um, at the, you know, within the department, um, the Center for Sustainable Business at the New York um, University Stern School, I mean, I, from what I've read, um, you've been showing that there's ROI here. So it's, you know, I think there's probably a real misconception among a, at least a lot of companies, or maybe it's starting to peel away, but 
that, you know, sustainability is kind of a nice thing to do. Maybe, you know, do a little greenwashing of your business to make people feel good, but it's going to cost you more money than it's ever going to net you. But I read um, in one of your recent, I think it was in your, one of the articles for Worth magazine about Mm -hmm. the consumer packaged goods industry that like 50% or some crazy number of their recent growth was due to sustainability initiatives. Yeah, exactly. If I'm not misstating that. So, um, how do you show businesses? Because I think it's like, you know, let's say you work for Bank of America or something and you're like, you know, you walk into the, whoever your department has office and you're in, you know, some kind of sourcing department. And you're like, well, what, how are we doing on this? You know, sustainability initiative X, you know? Um, I mean, I think, is there, is it a hard pitch to get companies to, to look at that? I mean, you've got obviously data and metrics that show it's profitable, which I think is hugely helpful to get people to listen. But I mean, is it an uphill battle with companies to to get them to understand how these um, taking these steps can benefit their business and do good? So I think that most companies um, are yet, not yet sort of fully on board with how this is really I what I believe it is, which is the sustainability is the next big disruptor in the way that um, uh, technology has been. And just like with technology, if you want to be competitive and grow, you need to take that on and figure out how to innovate. And I think that's the same with sustainability. It creates a host of risks and opportunities for business. I also think sustainability is driving the next wave of good management because, I mean, basically, if you just think about waste, waste is stupid <laughs> from right. a financial perspective. Yes. Because basically, you're buying more than you need in order to... Uh, pay to dispose of stuff that you don't need <laughs> right. at the end of it. Right? It's like a double whammy, so, not even including right. the triple whammy of the environment. But I mean, it's like exactly, yeah. exactly, yeah. So, so, and because that's just not been how companies have thought, you know, about it. They, they thought of it more of like I need to do this to comply with some legislation or something like. That. So now, I think you know, if you if you really recognize. Like, for example, we work with a pulp and paper company called Domtar. They sell into Staples and Office Depot and things like that, and um, Office Max. And they, uh, they were looking at the waste from their, fa- from their um, pulp and paper um, factories, manufacturing, and they found that, um, well, first of all, they were paying a lot to have it disposed of. This is toxic, and it was expensive to dispose of. So they started to look around what they could do with these byproducts, which, after all, were natural. It was like... Um, uh, from from the paper, okay. and they they came up with the idea of developing a fertilizer that was actually better for the environment than the nitrogen-based fertilizer that farmers wow. use, which actually is responsible for a lot of greenhouse gas emissions. And also, it was cheaper for the farmers. So they've created this fertilizer. It's better for the environment. It's cheaper for the farmers, and they actually no longer have to pay disposal costs, and they have a small revenue stream. Oh, my gosh. Right? Yes. Yeah. So, like, so just thinking about things with a completely different mindset, I think, is that next wave of innovation and management for companies to better perform and to have produced value for society. And I think increasingly as well, you know, um, and I agree with you about this sort of calling us all consumers is like we got to need to it move feels beyond. uncomfortable. Yeah, it's a terrible mindset. Yeah, maybe citizens is the yes. word. But like we, you know, we need to as citizens, as people living on this planet, we, you know, we need to um, start demanding these kinds of changes, right? 
Agreed. And I think we can vote, you know, like you said, we can do all sorts of things. We have our, you know, in our own homes, we can control our behavior and our consumption patterns to a certain extent. Um, And then at work, we can ask the questions or if we're in a position of power, we can enact um, sustainable measures within a company. And it's, I mean, I think as citizens that purchase things versus being consumers, we also can vote with our dollar, right? So we can say, like someone like Loop, you get hopefully rewarded for doing this. You know, there may be a premium, but we place a premium on the work you're doing and, and the come from and the end result. So we support you. Um, mm-hmm. And I think that's super important. And like, is there a way for, like, is there any kind of a clearinghouse online or something where you can go and um, there's probably multiple sources if they do exist, but where you can check a company's record on some of these, you know, parameters or like, is there like an independent body that vets um, people's kind of records or efforts? Yeah, the challenge is, as you're saying, there's multiple places looking at multiple different things. You know, so um, let's see where one might go. So one one source of information is um, a company called Arabesque. Okay, that has something called S-Ray where you can go look up e, um, environmental, social, and governance rankings and data of public companies that they use for investment strategies, but you could look at for yourself as both an investor and as a citizen or consumer. Um, there are uh, sites that look at products. There was one called The Good Guide. I'm not sure if it's operating anymore, but okay. I think... Um, you know, there, there's a lot of sites on particular issues. There's also different certification systems like Rainforest Alliance certification yes. or Fair Trade certification or organic certification that you can look for on some products. There's also increasingly, you know, on apparel, there's an increasing amount of, um, you know, uh, certifications around sustainability related to fashion, which is the second most polluting industry in the world, by the way. So. Um, they're like looking at apparel and, and like, how do you, um, you know, purchase less is actually a really big deal because we have so much textile waste and, right. uh, anyway, it's just and is it, topic, I mean, but. is that, <laughs> is that part of like the fast fashion movement then and like forever 21, um, type, um, stores who like just turn and burn cheap, you know, clothing, which I'm, I'm sure from the, I think you said it's ESG, um, parameters um you know as as far as like the social good and like the you know the people that work in those factories is a whole uh additional issue that we need to look at but is fast fashion what's driving it um to be the second kind of dirtiest or most um kind of problematic industry for the environment or is it just the way things are manufactured it's both i think fast fashion because it's accelerated the volume and the speed has exacerbated what is a problematic production process to begin with. So, um, you know, if you look at something like cotton, massive amounts of pesticides, soil erosion, biodiversity loss, uh, if you look at dyeing of, of um, products, very, very toxic dyes that go into waterways generally with very little processing or, you know, so wow. really okay. problematic. And enormous amounts of water in general are used. I. I forget the statistics, but, you know, it's like hundreds of gallons of water. To, to wash all the fabrics sort of and the, you know, yeah. all the processing. Yeah. And um, so, like, yeah. and energy, too, right? Okay. Um, so, so then you, and then you add to that, that with fast fashion, you're manufacturing an entirely new wardrobe every 
season, you know, and then, of course, you've got all the textile waste that comes from both fast fashion and regular fashion. And, um, and you know, it's just atrocious. Is anyone on like on the fashion front that, you know, not necessarily, which I, you know, I don't want to discount them. That's not why I'm saying it this way. But there I know that there are smaller companies that are working on it. Um, and doing it right. But are there any of the bigger conglomerates in the fashion, like VF or any of those people, are they addressing it yet? Yeah, so they're all addressing it to a certain extent. So yes, first of all, you have the smaller um, leaders like Patagonia or Eileen Fisher or Reformation or Allbirds, you know, who are doing really good stuff. Um, From the bigger company's perspective, the leader is really Kering, K-E-R-I-N-G, that has a lot of different brands under them. I'm trying to remember, it's like, Gucci and I mean they're 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 like major brands under caring. Okay. And they have um, a environmental profit and loss statement that they use for analyzing impact. They're um, have been working with they announced a partnership with the president of France, um, Emmanuel Macron, around sustainable fashion commitments. Um, and you know, following them, the um, uh, what is it, VF, and um, a variety of others are beginning to do more too. But I would say caring is really the front leading leader. it. And w- yeah. with what you do with with the Center for Sustainable Business at the Stern School, do do you all come alongside companies? I mean, how do you, how do you all work? Are you setting standards? Are you actually consulting like? Um, boots on the ground at companies. I mean, what's I read a bit about, you know, how you're obviously having students going through the Stern School of Business at NYU, having to have sustainability as part of the curriculum, hopefully raising the next generation of leaders in business that will be minded towards, I think you said it's ESG um, initiatives. Um, But are you also actively consulting companies? Or how does, you know, how do you work? Do you think best with what you do? Yeah, so we work with companies in a variety of ways because I, you know, in addition to wanting to um, support and help the next generation of business leaders get the skills and education they need to to deal with this changed world they're inheriting, I also want to deal with the problem now because it's so urgent now. So, um, yeah, so we work with current business leaders as well in a variety of different ways. One is through direct research around our return on sustainability investment, or Rosie, we call it as like in Rosie the Riveter. Um, That's good. uh, (laughs) uh, So our Rosie methodology to, you know, to help companies, and we've been working with the apparel sector, the automotive sector, et cetera, with companies like Mars, with pharma companies like Merck and Pfizer. Um, And then we do, uh, we bring in companies to talk to students. We do panels on different topics. We've done topics like impact investing or, um, you know, we're we're working on one around blockchain and sustainable supply chains. And, you know, so we're trying to kind of do cutting edge um, uh, engagement with companies. We do annual conference on our work with them to engage them. Um, uh, we bring, um, we've set up a fellowship in the summer for students to go do fellowships on sustainability at companies. We do, we have an MBA program where MBAs actually do consulting work for companies. Great. Small group for credit around sustainability challenges. So we had one group, for example, work with a big palm oil producer in Indonesia around working with small farmer finance. And they did some really good work and went down there to Indonesia to, or talk to to the farmers and so you know so we yeah we really do try to engage on an ongoing basis with business so we can really inform what we're doing and so we can inform what they're doing even more importantly which is so amazing and i don't know are you still good for time because i wanted to talk a little bit if you do have time tansi about yep. the hidden plastic voyage that you went on um sure 
I just when I read that piece, I was um, frightened, but also I just think it's an important thing to talk about. Um, and so I just want to talk about what like what that experience was like. And it may not have been surprising to you what you found under the surface there because you know you're entrenched in this issue day in and day out. But can you talk about what that was like? Yeah, it actually was super impactful for me, even though in, in intellectually I knew this. So, so we went on a, a plastics cruise off of the coast It doesn't of sound that Bermuda. sexy, by the way. I don't really want to sign up for that. It doesn't sound relaxing. But, I mean, you've got to take a plastics cruise, I guess, once in your life maybe to – Yeah, right, you exactly. Know, it doesn't sound like it's like a celebrity cruise ship's, like, particular <laughs> program. No, but, you know, all. you went on a plastics cruise. Okay, so you were on a plastics cruise – yeah, you said so, off of so we were you know we were a thousand miles from the mainland. Okay. The ocean is bright blue, the sky is bright blue, or in the Sargasso Sea, it looks absolutely pristine. Um, the Sargasso is a uh, sea with it sort of golden in color. Um, so first we go snorkeling. We got in our our, our boats and we go um, uh, snorkeling in amongst the Sargasso seaweed. And there we found, you know, we were collecting bits of plastic. And, you know, I think the biggest piece we found, we found a toilet seat cover. Um, but we found lots of bits of, you know, things like uh, fishing line and um, toys and all kinds of bits of stuff in there. But, you know, it wasn't like a floating garbage patch, but there was definitely plastic in amongst the, the sargassum. But what was more devastating, that was, that was pretty devastating, 1,000 miles from anywhere, but it was more devastating was we all, every, each one of us went in our boats for about half an hour um, just driving in, in any direction with um, a small, very small uh, little filter bag um, behind us, maybe, I don't know, it was like four inches in diameter um, and maybe six inches in length, so a tiny little bag. And it, it um, dragged behind us as we drove for, you know, half an hour equivalent and went back. Every single bag had a dozen or so pieces of microplastic in it from just running across the Mm. top of the water, which to the naked eye was gorgeous and blue and swimmable and everything you would want and expect to see in an ocean a thousand miles from anywhere. So that was what was like, you know, I mean, in theory, I know that there's microplastic in all of our waterways. In reality, just seeing that was devastating devastating so so there's like there's nowhere that it's not then i mean you know if you're a thousand miles from the mainland like right it's across it's it's across everything and then you know reading more about it there's there's um you know they found pieces of plastic in the mariana strait which is like the deepest so deep it's like thirty seven thousand feet below the surface or something (laughs) crazy i mean it's like yeah it's there, yeah. you know. And, and and they find it, you know, it's all in fish intestines and, you know, they're finding it in people too, right? So, um, you know, it's, it's, we've got to figure out how to move beyond plastic as our main um, go-to for packaging and in our clothes. I mean, I right, right now I'm working at home today, so I'm wearing my spandex comfy exercise right. things. Every time I wash these microplastic that, that you know, goes into the water. Is it from right? like the lycra it, or something or is that, I mean. A, it's like lycra, yeah, right. Um, so you, but lycra is the same thing. So you can buy something called a guppy bag that you wash anything that has those kind of, you know, sort of micro, okay. that has that in it. Um, and that keeps the microplastic from going into the water. Wow, so that's anything fine. stretchy, basically, yeah, right? So yeah, you yeah. could just get the guppy bag and then use that and it. Yeah. And then how do you get, so. But is something going to get into the guppy bag, and then what do you do with it? I mean, yeah, it's yeah, it's a good question. I don't know. I don't know. Yeah, yeah, it seems like it deals with it, but I'm not entirely sure. I think the main, you know, I think I should probably stop buying these these 
themselves that they're so comfortable. So, you know, this is like the kind of stuff that we have to deal with. Right. And when I guess you also, we have to make choices, right? So to me, it's like, right. and I know I'm not going to go zero waste. Um, anytime soon, if ever. But I mean, I can make choices to reduce it. And that's enough, at least to get things rolling. So we don't have to feel um, that we have to be some kind of social experiment in our own home um, mm-hmm. to make an impact, right? I mean, even if we did something, it's better than nothing, I'm assuming. That's what people tell me about exercise. So I mean, I'm kind of like, you know, even if I don't feel like doing it, I can go out and do something. It's better than not doing something. So I feel, I mean, isn't yes. it okay just to take small steps and Absolutely. I mean, you know, small steps add up to big ones. You know, that's been my philosophy my whole life. And I've seen it work, you know, in in effect in in this space. It's like, you know, you can't change everything all at once. But if enough people change enough things at once, it starts to really make a difference. And then you start to, you know, get over the tipping point of, of the kind of really transformational change we need as a society. So I think everybody needs to start where they can pushing themselves a little bit, just like you do with exercise. I mean, right. don't do everything. Like, you, you don't want to do stuff that is so easy. I'm not going to go run a marathon, like, fine. immediately. So it's <laughs> exactly. just like, you know, I can order stuff yeah. on loop and stop ordering yep. LaCroix and single serve, you know, cans. And yep. that would be great work for one day. I mean, exactly. that's a win. Um, I have yeah, to ask you before exactly. we go about, you know, veganism, um, you know, plant-based diet. Um, I'm not like a super big fan of meat. It's not you know, again, I'm glad it would be better for the environment, I think. And I'm going to ask you the question not to eat a lot of it. And I, but it just grosses me out. Just um, literally just grosses me out. So, I, you know, which is great. It's hard to get protein sometimes, but I figure it out. But um, is it better if we eat less meat? I mean, not just for our health, but like for the planet. Is that it? Oh, um, yes. I mean, beef in particular is one of the biggest contributors to greenhouse gas emissions that there is, okay. um, both in terms of uh deforestation for the beef itself, but also in terms of deforestation for the um, soy that beef eats and the cattle eat, and also in terms of methane emissions. So there's just so many different ways in which it's a bad thing. Um, And then it's true for other forms of meat as well, but just far less than beef. You know, my, my personal, I do eat meat, but not very much. I mean, my personal opinion is we all should be eating more like a traditional Asian diet worth of meat, which is like you have a little bits of pieces, right? Um, you know, with your veggies occasionally. You don't have a huge slab of red meat every day, you know. Um, and uh, and then if you can go um, vegetarian or vegan, more power to you. But I think the main thing is have a little bit a couple times a week rather than every meal, big big amounts. Got you know? it. Okay. Which I think is, a, it's, you know, for me, it would be, that's an easy, I already, I'm already doing that. But I think for some people that love meat, I mean, I still think it would be a relatively doable change. You're not going to give it up entirely, but you're just having less. Mm-hmm. Okay. Exactly. Um, yeah. And then do you ever, um, my last question for you is, do you ever get overwhelmed by like the, the problem? I mean, do you ever think about it and just I don't know about wanting to throw your hands up because you're in it to win it, obviously. And and I hope you would never throw your hands up because we need you on the front lines doing what you're doing. But do you ever get discouraged? I mean, is there ever, are there times when you're like, I just don't know if we can do it, like that our planet can live through this? I don't get discouraged about doing what I do because I feel that I am making a small difference in what I do and that I lead my life, it sounds a little woo-woo, but I lead my life to, to make a difference. So as long as I feel like I'm doing that, even if I'm not like, 
even, even it, you know, that small bit is enough for me to feel good. I don't feel discouraged. I do feel depressed about the broader state of the world that I can't affect in my work. You know, I, I do feel really worried and really scared for the world that my kid and her kids will have. I feel that her generation will look back at what we've done to them and, you know, be angry and depressed and just devastated that we didn't take responsibility for a world that is really going to be a lot worse for them. So I, that I feel really bad about and I, I just have to kind of move beyond it and do what I can do. But I, that, that does discourage me, but not my own, like, I know that I can't. It's like, like an not your own you know, efforts or your can. enterprise. Like you can control what you can control, right? And right, exactly. Yeah, right. <laughs> I mean, and that's what my therapist told me. Anyway, I don't know. That's what she said, and um, I think it's it's probably a truism. I hope it is because I pay her enough to say it. But um, yeah. I, I hear what you're saying, and I think that I, I think one thing you said at the top of the show that I kind of want to st- close with too is that. You know, it's not, we used to think it was because, and again, it shouldn't be okay if it's for our great, great, you know, it shouldn't be like, okay, well, it's not going to affect any of my family until our great grandkids. It's like, well, one, we should care about other people outside ourselves. And two, that's not okay either. But the fact that you said it's like, this is going to impact us and our kids. I mean, hopefully people's, you know, um, not like clinical narcissism, but like their, um, you know, I think it's part of like this, you know, survival, um, you know, DNA that we have. I mean, we should care about that. Like we should care anyway, just altruistically. But now that it's really going to impact us and our kids, like, let's wake up. Because to me, it's like, what other wake up call do you need? It's going to affect your life in a negative way and your kids. And that's like, I mean, I'll see people do anything for their kids, including, including crazy things. Um, mm-hmm. This is not a crazy thing to be working on. And that's right. Um, it's, I mean, like you said, it's, it's just like such a shame that we haven't done it yet, but you know, I, I think it's just in the human condition to kind of like deny and like, it sounds like too much and this and that. But if like you're saying, we can just take small steps. I mean, mm-hmm. that's amazing that just even make a little bit of a change. And I think, you know, we all have our own legacy. Like you said, you you want your legacy to maybe making a difference and there's so many ways we can do it, but what a great thing if we all did a bit for like the more global legacy. Um, yeah for our planet so wow oh my gosh okay I learned a ton I'm gonna go order loop I need to go on arabesque I was glad to read that you were also work with investment companies like BlackRock etc who are you know kind of waking up to investing in these companies because of the the ROSI or ROSI was it yes ROSI piece um so arabesque loop um and anything else I could guppy go. Guppy bags. Guppy bags. We don't know what we're going to do with the, pla- the microplastic inside it, but I bet you the site will tell yep. me. And believe me. Green I, energy, all kinds yep, of stuff. And call, yep. Yeah, calling your energy provider about green energy mm-hmm. electric cars. Um, mm-hmm. So there are things that we can do that I don't think hurt that much, eating less meat. I mean, we should all get on yep. board. Definitely. Okay. Yep. Um, and I owe you another, I've got to, you know, just tell you that I'm going to, I'll schedule another call with you to talk more about you because we talked about me at the during the pre-show, which is always fun for me because I like talking about myself, but I want to hear more about how you're doing. Um, and if you could check out 
Chauncey's, of course, just, you know, because my family, I'm super proud of, like everyone's brilliant and doing cool stuff and making a difference in different ways. Chauncey's daughter, Laura Faye, um, is part of a band called Arthur Moon. You need to check them out. I missed them last night in LA, which I'm super bummed about. Um, I did see Lizzo on Monday. That doesn't make up for it, but it was a good concert. Um, but so check out Arthur, Arthur Moon. Check out the website for the New York uh, University Stern School of Business, specifically the Center for Sustainable Business. And um, Tansi, thank you so much. And I will talk to you soon. And all the best to you and all the Waylands. And um, I just want to thank everyone for listening. Thanks so much, Carrie. Um, lots of love to you and to your family. And uh, have a great weekend. And thanks so much for having me on the show. It was great Yay. to catch up. Oh, you're awesome. Okay. And I promise I will get in touch with you offline to actually have a real conversation. Right. Okay. Sounds great. Bye, right. Take care. Okay. Bye. Bye-bye.